Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. We have a fantastic interactive class for you this evening. Supernatural DNA. Uh, basically, do I have my grandfather's memories? Uh, what did I end up calling it this time? The full, the full title. Uh, supernatural DNA, genetic memory, and past lives. So all these things kind of come into play when we get into this topic. I have not done this topic for a couple of years. Back during the old Beyond the Shadows days uh, or Inside the Upside Down, if you guys remember that one. So I've talked about this a couple times, but I mean, over the last five years, talked about it twice. So, and I know there's yeah, uh, new people involved now. Of course, it's a different uh, it's a different platform and all that stuff. So we're going to go down this rabbit hole for a little bit. Um, one of our uh, one of our members here, connecting the universe, connectinguniverseportal.com, uh, and Celine, and there she is, uh, had asked me some questions last week about this particular topic, and I sent her those couple of videos, and so. I just thought, well, why don't I actually talk about it uh, in class this evening? So real quick, though, those who are listening to the audio version of this later, we do invite you out here live Wednesday nights, 8 o'clock p.m. Go to ConnectedUniversePortal.com. It's a 30-day free trial. You know, check out the weekly class, but there's so much more than just this you know, hour-long uh, interactive class where you get the slideshow. We have video clips a lot of times. You've got the uh, the banter down there in the chat. You can ask me questions and I'll answer all that great stuff. But we also have a lot of wonderful content there on the back end of ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Uh, we have you know a bunch of uh, Egypt footage. You know, actually went to Egypt last year. Uh, basically, what is it up to now? Like twelve hours of footage on Egypt between, you know, all the walking around the pyramids, the temples, all of that, uh, plus all of the analysis uh, thereafter. We're going again next year, by the way, Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour in February. So please join us for that. But uh, yeah, you get all that material back there. You get the monthly Q&A videos. There are weekly video blogs. There's you know, all kinds of articles, behind the scenes videos, sneak peeks, all that wonderful stuff. You guys will be getting a little bit more of that sneak peek stuff here uh, this coming week when I fly out to New York. So, uh, yeah, this time next week, I'll actually, my, my hotel is like a block from Times Square. So that's going to be pretty cool. All right. So let's go ahead and get into it. And uh, I'll go ahead and turn off this banner because I see everybody has the correct name. I, I throw up the uh, the StreamYard permission thing just so that you guys um, are aware of the correct, uh, of the permissions you have to set so I can see the names correctly in this. So, all right, Supernatural DNA. Uh, the class question for this evening was, if you could inherit one trait from an ancestor or past life, what would it be? So Anne Celine said, their accent. I love that. <laughs> yeah, they probably all had, they would have had different accents. Many of them would have spoken in different languages. Uh, it would have been interesting to hear some of my uh, ancestors that uh, came over from Switzerland or Hungary and some of these other uh, countries, you know, what they would have sounded like coming over. Uh, definitely uh, very cool to think about. Uh, Sarah Youssef says, the ability to win friends and influence people or mad baking skills. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see 
you know, how people actually cooked and baked back then and the type of foods that they ate. I mean, we, ha we have an idea from you know, things that have been passed down over the ages, but like, you know, specific people in your lineage, what were they eating? What are those recipes? Are the recipes that have been handed down over the years, are they really the same as back in the day? Uh, that would be interesting to see. Uh, Sean Coletta had a, uh, a, a really uh, interesting response to this, and I like this. So Sean says, as corny as this may sound, I would inherit a character trait, more specifically, a sense of wonder. We have become so accustomed to new creations not having the wonderment that they deserve. Modern marvels. Imagine our very distant ancestors discovering fire for the first time, experiencing birth discovering a new species of animal they've never seen. Nowadays, photo of, photos of distant universes, miracle surgery procedures, etc., are just not stunning enough for us to step back and say, whoa. Yeah, that's actually a really, really good point. You think about, um, you know, 100, 125 years ago, where you had all of these, like, miraculous inventions and things that were coming out that everybody was like, you know, it's what's the, what's the latest great wonder that's coming out, whether it was uh, the telephone or the phonograph or, you know, electric lights, you know, all of that was just, you know, people were just blown away by some of these different things. You know, when the, uh, like when the train was invented, now we can take this steel beast, you know, across the country. So all of those things that you know, were just blowing people's minds, you know, nowadays, I mean, we have so much technology and I think when a new gadget comes out we're like oh no that's that's cool but it's not just mind-blowing like it used to be so um i think that's a really really uh cool response so thank you sean for that um yeah <laughs> I, I like this so uh victoria says uh i have the family recipes we still eat the same uh, i do too i have at least uh a number of them. I shouldn't say I, I have a few of them. My mother has the whole big like cookbook thing with all those recipes. Um, and we still have like at Christmas time, uh, when we do the Springerly cookies, we still have the molds that my, it would have been my grandmother's uncles actually carved the molds. So in their, you know, wooden carvings, which are very, very cool. So, all right. So let's get into our uh, discussion for this evening. Uh, the idea of inheriting DNA and different traits from our ancestors, our lineage. And this was actually kind of tested out uh, in the laboratory. I might get a little gross here for uh, a moment. <laughs> and so we're going to start with these, uh, uh, these glowing worms. This was an actual uh, scientific experiment that was done. Uh, the Center for uh, Genomic Regulation actually published a paper on this, and this was done by the Institute for Health Science Research. And they were studying the impact of environmental change that could be passed on in the genes. Uh, these were tiny nematoid worms, and they discovered that they could pass down uh, these these traits for at least 14 generations. This was most of us ever, ever seen in an animal. So what they, what they did um, is you know, they injected this thing to make them glow. Uh, it was a fluorescent protein that had been added to the worm genome. Uh, 
And what they did is if the worms were kept at 20 degrees Celsius, uh, the array of the transgenes were less active in creating only a smaller amount of fluorescent protein. But when they shifted the animals to a warmer climate of 25 degrees, this is Celsius, uh, there was a significantly increased activity of the transgenes, which made the animals glow more brightly under ultraviolet light. So now when these worms, remember, they started the cold, they went to the warm, started glowing brighter in the warmth. When the worms were moved back to the colder temperatures, their transgenes were still highly active. This is suggesting that they were somehow retaining the memory of their exposure to the warmth. So this high level act of activity uh, was passed on to their offspring and onwards for seven subsequent generations, uh, kept solely at 20 degrees, now, even though the original animals only experienced the higher temperatures for a brief time. Keeping the worms at 25 degrees for five generations led to the increased transgene activity being maintained for at least 14 generations once the animals were returned to cooler conditions. So in order for that to finally dissipate away, this reaction that they had uh, at, those, at those temperatures, it took them 14 generations. They started seeing it about seven, but for it to finally completely go away was... Uh, after 14. So, you know, think about this. This is a, this is a basically a, a learned trait that they passed on to their offspring. And even, you know, you go a couple generations down the line, offspring that had never, they never experienced the warmth. You know, they never were at that 25 degrees Celsius for generations down the road, still carrying out that activity, even though, you know, their grandparents hadn't even experienced it. It was somehow still inherently within them to carry those things out. So that makes things interesting for us when we start thinking about ourselves and our ancestors. And I even throw this in there, past lives because I believe that we are intrinsically connected to our past lives. And we'll get into that here uh, in a little bit. So you have to keep in mind when this happens. So things that um, like a grandparent or a parent would have done, you know, after you were conceived or after a child was conceived, those things are not going to pass on. If it, if it creates that genetic marker, that's kind of the thing is um, if they learn a behavior, if they learn a trait, it needs to create that genetic marker. And I believe that happens, you know, somebody who's, um, you know, a fantastic artist, something in their body is, um, you know, there's, there's a talent that they're tapping uh, and there's something within them that, is able to uh, is able to generate this. You know, maybe it's you know tapping into some sort of uh, the ability to tap into some sort of consciousness state that allows them to become such a, a wonderful artist or whatever it is. Um, that has to be established before procreation to be able to to pass it on. Um, and even then, you know, not everything is is completely passed on. You know, we kind of get 
know, pieces of that along the way. And then you'll also have things that skip generations. So it may get passed on, but it's not activated um, for whatever reason until maybe another generation or two down the road, but still there. So the, the marker has to be created first. And the question then becomes with this, okay, so that's a, a character trait, but what about memories? You know, is there a reason why many times we are called back to a certain location? You know, is it because there's that innate, you know, whatever that marker is within us, that uh, that idea that you know a, a place across the world is home, or you go to a place you've never been before, but it seems so familiar, but perhaps it was, you know, your great, 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 great grandmother that had originally come from there and had, had grown up there. You know, maybe, you know, she having spent so much time there and had these memories, had a family, all that sort of thing, that was, you know, just a part of her. And so when the, you know, children and grandchildren uh, were born, they would have retained that sense of belonging to that location. So that's one idea. But then there's also the idea of an actual memory itself. So we have a lot of strange dreams, or we have like a sense of deja vu, you know, even though it didn't happen in our life. Maybe it happened in an ancestor's life. Or maybe it happened in your past life. So, since I have brought up past life here uh, a couple times before, there we go, reincarnation. Um, let me get to some of your comments here first before I dive right down this rabbit hole, because I am kind of switching gears here <laughs> really quick. Um so Anseline saying, I believe so. I felt many times that I was born in the wrong location and time. And yeah, we've discussed that a little bit. Uh, Tom says, from what I heard about my ancestors, their beliefs and mine wouldn't mesh. Maybe I'm starting the future for my family with mine. Well, yeah, and we all have we all have our own ideals and ideas and, and characteristics that we generate. So, you know, we are we are a sum of our ancestors but then we also have our own experiences and things that we learn along the way that we incorporate into those things that are passed down to us and so we end up with our own view and our own take on the world and so then we end up ultimately ultimately becoming our own person so with that when you start creating those uh you know certain ideas of your own um, for that to, you know, continue to get passed down, you would have to, what do they call that in the, in the old days of begetting? <laughs> you would have to beget. Um, so like I, my kids, like I had kids very, very young. So a lot of, you know, a lot of things that I'm doing now uh, would not get passed down to them unless they, you know, watched and learned what I'm doing now and then incorporated that. But it wouldn't be necessarily part of their DNA because I, wasn't doing that beforehand, except something like writing, because I've always been uh, writing forever. So, um, and then Anne is saying, I also believe that memories are passed down in the womb. My mother almost drowned as a child, and both my sister and I have a fear of water to a certain extent. 
Yeah, and that makes sense. Things like that. Um, yeah, and that's scary. So, um, yeah, almost almost drowning. So, yeah, something like that. That would have been such an intense experience for her that that is something that could very well create that sort of marker within her that would then be a part of her of her DNA and get passed down to to children. Yes, absolutely. And then uh, Alina, my mom always told me I've been mature for my age. No one had to teach me good manners either. Um, yeah, um, you know, a lot of times people have had, uh, you know, come from a line of, of good mannered people will a lot of times, you know, inherit that or, you know, it could also be a, um, you know, a past life or, you know, one of those, one of those ideas that's out there is that, you know, when you've kind of been around the block a lot and you've, you know, reincarnated many, many, many times before, you continue to retain more and more things. So coming back, uh, you may be a little bit more evolved, for lack of a better term. So, all right. So again, reincarnation, since we're headed down that road, um, is some of this genetic code passed down from a past life? You know, are some of these things being retained from one life to another? Um, I believe so. So was it almost a year ago now? Uh, I had a past life regression with Ariana Corsino. Highly recommend her. Uh, many of you probably recall the story of the uh, hypnosis session that I went through where I got to learn and tap into more of what happened with my shadow person experience that I had when I was eight years old and got to see that from a completely different angle. Um, I've incorporated that now into uh, A Walk in the Shadows, my my book on, on shadow entities. So I guess it's now edition 2.5. <laughs> um, but you guys have to buy another copy. There's 10 more pages now. Um, but I've talked about it a, a few times in, in different uh, situations, like here in the class or uh, or elsewhere. So one of the other things that we did, in fact, the first thing that we did was we went to go and visit a past life of mine. And this was really fascinating for me. I'd never, uh, I'd never successfully seen a past life before. There was one other time that I tried a past life regression and the situation that we had attempted this in was, um, it was at an event, but we found a, what we thought was going to be a quiet room to do this regression. And then a motorcycle kicked up outside. I was like this close to, uh, to hypnosis. Like I could feel myself going under. She said that, you know, she could see that I was you know, really just about there. And then boom, motorcycle kicked up and broke the moment, which is unfortunate. So this was my second attempt. And this was with Ariana and, you know, I found myself basically in like medieval times. Um, and without going into too much detail on the whole story, basically I was a, I was a scribe and I was a scribe for some sort of, uh, movement, some sort of, I'll say just maybe alternate religion or what have you to the current established church. Uh, we were, you know, meeting in secret locations and things like that. Um, you know, I wasn't like 
the leader of the moment, but I was like one of the guys and I was the scribe and I was writing, I was writing everything out. I was writing out the different beliefs. I was writing um, almost like meeting minutes, stuff like that. This is, these are the different things I saw. I saw the the meetings, the congregations. Um, I'm at one of those, uh, like one of those old school, uh, like slanted desks. I've got a, a quill and I've got the ink and and all of that. So that makes a lot of sense for my life now. If I was a scribe back then, I'm a writer now. So this is something that I retained from one life to another. Now, I don't know how many lives there were in between. I know there have been other past lives. I, I, I believe I've seen a past death, my previous life before this. But in the past, during another life, if I was a writer and I'm a writer now, that tells me there's a connection there. That is something that was retained cross lives. So that causes us to wonder then, where is that retained at? If it's not DNA in that case, because my physical body now is probably not from that line. Now, I have postulated in the past that there could be a possibility that at times we we are our ancestors. Like there could be a possibility that in the past, you know, I was my, you know, great, 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 great grandfather or grandmother, you know, either. <laughs> um, you know, that maybe sometimes we stay within the same family line, but that's not always the case. I, I've thrown that out there as an idea, and some people are like, oh, that kind of makes sense because there's a lot of people within the family that seem very familiar and that sort of thing. Um, or sometimes you go back and you look at somebody uh, from, you know, a, a photo 150 years ago, you know, from your family, and you're like, I know them. Like, no, know them. You know, that sort of thing uh, happens sometimes. Uh, but with this particular scribe um we're talking hundreds of years ago it probably not <laughs> so um so without that dna being passed down like that where then would that trait come from and so this comes into the idea of uh, when we uh when we pass on our life force our soul our energy whatever you want to call it um, is retained elsewhere. We've talked about, you know, the home world and coming back down. Uh, but is this all part of, you know, the matrix, you know, simulated universe sort of thing? You know, if we're, we're part, if we are part of a simulated universe, which I believe we are, but more on a biological level, then there would be records retained of us and yeah you could talk about like akashic records and things like that um but it's almost like you know opening up a file on a computer and you know all that information is is retained and um you know for each life it's all in this file or you know in the, the akashic records they talk about it being a book fine um, but uh, when you come back some of those things from that book, from those records are retained within you. It's almost like, um, you know, if you think of like a computer game or something like that, 
and you know you're creating a new character to play within that game world and you're given a list of traits that you could bring in uh to the game environment with you and you're like okay you know i want to take um you know extra strength and you know some high endurance and i want a you know broadsword plus two with me whatever <laughs> just throw out an, an example um but those options would be taken from this file of all your lives you know what from all my lives that i've had do i want to bring down with me into this one and so you know there could be uh this choice that we make where we go down that list i want this with me i want this with me i want this with me when i go back down and you bring it with you so uh so writing could be part of my uh you know past lives or my catalog of traits and abilities that I can bring with me down into this world. So, all right. So we got some comments down here. Um, yeah, Victoria saying, I was an advisor in medieval life and say it with me. I followed astrology. That makes total sense for you, Victoria. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Tom says, what region of the world did you live before, Mike? Uh, you know, that's a good question. So again, this was medieval times. Um, it, you know, it very well could have been UK, but I don't think so. I, I, I'm thinking it was more of um, Western to Southern Europe. So it could have been like France over to Italy, something, you know, kind of like that sort of region is, is what I'm thinking. Uh, hard to tell though. Um, I'd have to do some more. I, I've been meaning for almost a year now to do some research on like the type of construction and buildings that I saw uh, in this past life regression so that I could better place where exactly it was. It's a good question, Tom. Um, but I just, I kind of need to dive into some research on that. Uh, Victoria says, we travel through time with a soul family, i.e. we have a purpose or a mission as a group and we remain connected. Not everyone comes back at the same time, and sometimes we connect as a one-off, but the connection remains. And yeah, we've well, we've done the um, the reincarnation classes, and we've done uh, well, we've had guests on the rabbit hole and things like that. We've talked about some of those things before, and the idea that uh, you know that you have a soul family because there are certain people that when you you know come into the world and as you're experiencing life that you know you've known this person before, even though you might be meeting them for the first time. Or you've hung out a couple times and you're just like, this person really resonates with me. Something just clicks. I feel like I've known this person you know, my whole life. And you probably did, just not this life. And then you have some family members or you know, people you know, within your you know, physical sphere that you know, even though they've been around your whole life, it's like, it's just something off. This person kind of clashes with, with everyone else. Um, you know, what's the what's the deal here? And so, you know, it could be that person that is not really a part of your soul family, but is here on earth, you know, for, you know, as part of your family anyway. And, um, and discussions I've had in, you know, speculative discussions about this sort of thing, um, you know, why this would be the case, you know, it could be that, you know, in our decisions to come back into this world, that there may be a time where it's like, well, you know, I've been going through, you know, these different situations with these people for a while. 
I get what we're doing. Fine. That's cool. I want to try something a little different this time. You know, I want to see what it's like in, in their situation, what it's like to live out some of those different scenarios. So you get dropped into there and it's just, you know, you're, you're the oddball <laughs> of everybody. And, um, you know, kind of always clashing with them or just, you know, the, the people are always looking at you weird and it could very well be because your, uh, your real consciousness made a decision that I want to try something different and not go down with my soul family this time. I want to, I want to hang out with some other people this time, just, you know, kind of spice it up and learn some other things. So um, and yeah, yeah, uh, a lot of times, Tom, that deja vu is kind of remembering, uh, you know, some of those different uh, past lives. So, all right, about halfway through the class here, I want to get on to some other things, but we'll kind of circle back to this too, because this is all very much related. Uh, I do want to talk about cellular memory transfer. This is really interesting. So we've been talking about uh, you know, DNA transfer of traits. And we kind of did it from the, the point of view of a, of a past life and what inheriting a trait would look like there. Well, what if this DNA transfer or this transfer of information is not from you? You know, it's not yours <laughs> at all. Um, this is where things get really, really interesting. And so there's something known as cellular memory transfer. Um, it's a bit controversial. Some of the things we're talking about this evening are controversial, of course, as we usually do. And this is the idea that organ transplant recipients are receiving traits from their donors. So, for example, William Sheridan, a man who had no artistic talent, <clears throat> excuse me, no artistic talent, suddenly started drawing amazing illustrations of wildlife and landscapes following a heart transplant. As it turns out, the heart had come from a 24-year-old crash victim who had been quite the talented artist. So the idea here is that you need a, an organ transplant. You know, whatever in your body is failing with this particular individual, it was the heart. And once that organ becomes integrated into your body, well, there are, there's different DNA, there's different genetics within that organ that are not from you, that came from the donor. And they had different likes, they had different beliefs, they had different tastes, they had different talents. And the recipient of the organ starts exhibiting those different behaviors. For this particular individual, uh, it was it was art, but there's some others here. So um, let's kind of dive into this a little bit. So Gary Schwartz, uh, professor of medicine, neurology, psychiatry, and surgery at the University of Arizona, uh, as of 2006, had documented 70 cases where he believed transplant recipients have inherited the traits of their donors. Now, this is 18 years ago. Um, there have been several stories that have come out since then. And what uh, Professor Schwartz said was when the organ is placed in the recipient, the information and energy stored in the organ is passed on to the recipient. The theory applies to any organ that has cells that are interconnected. They could be kidneys, liver, and even muscles. So a couple of other examples here. 
Claire Sylvia, uh, a heart transplant recipient who received the organ from an 18-year-old male that died in a motorcycle accident, reported having a craving for beer and chicken nuggets after surgery. The heart transplant recipient also began to have reoccurring dreams about a man named Tim L. Upon searching the obituary, Sylvia found out her donor's name was Tim and that he loved all of the food that she suddenly craved. So, yeah, probably not as of a good of one. I mean, you know, the one guy ended up getting all these uh, traits of being a, a new fantastic artist. She ends up craving beer and chicken nuggets. So she kind of got the short end of the stick on that one. But here's another interesting one. An eight-year-old girl who received the heart of a murdered 10-year-old girl began having recurring vivid nightmares about the murder. Her mother arranged a, a consultation with a psychiatrist who after several sessions concluded that she was witnessing the actual physical incidents. They decided to call the police who used the detailed descriptions of the murder, the time, weapon, place, the clothes he wore, what the little, uh, what the little girl he killed had said to him. And they took that information, found the murderer, and convicted him on it. So that there is absolutely amazing. I feel bad for the little girl that, you know, she was having all of these, you know, vivid memories. And it would it's even more sad to think about that, you know, she she didn't go through that trauma. This other little girl did. And so you know, she's probably going to experience like a PTSD or something like that for the rest of her life when it didn't even happen to her. Um, of course, you know, kind of take solace in the fact that they did catch the perpetrator and he got convicted. But um but yeah, that's very sad, but very amazing at the same time too. Um, so, you know, it's a fascinating case that, you know, not only can you inherit from your ancestors different ideas, traits, cravings, memories, if you have a transplant of an organ, you could get that from uh, the original donor. And so, and yeah, there's Alina. That's <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's the exact story that I I read off. I think that's the one you're referencing. Uh, you know, people having unusual nightmares after a heart transplant, and that was that was the little girls. Um, so, Tom, why do some people claim they were famous people before? Like Victoria said, some of our memories of past life uh, withhold personal information, cannot recall names and locations. You know, that's a fascinating thing. Um, you know, I don't know how many people I've talked to in the past that said something like, um, you know, I'm the the reincarnation of Marilyn Monroe or something like that. And it's like, well, okay, but you and, you know, 10 other people that I've talked to have said the same thing. You know, why is it, why is it always a famous person and not like just Joe Schmo, right? Um, I think what ends up happening is... You know, we learn about these different people from the past and we're able to relate to them in a number of different reasons or for or for a number of different reasons. You know, whether we see some different traits that they exhibited or there are some different tragedies that happen in their life that you know, maybe happened in yours. And so we're actually able to relate to these people from the past. 
And so I think then it becomes, um, you know, when you believe in reincarnation and you're seeing, you know, these people from the past that you can relate to, your mind suddenly starts to wonder and think, well, maybe I'm that person reincarnated, you know, um, but probably not, <laughs> probably not. Um, because yeah, everybody can't be Marilyn Monroe or, or JFK or Edgar Casey or, or whatever. Um, you know, there, those people, sure, sure. They get reincarnated too, but there can't be, you know, a thousand people reincarnated as, you know, that one person. So probably not. All right. Um, so Alina, can it be residual energy coming from the heart? So what it would be, because um, it's going to be the DNA uh, within the heart. So yeah, energy is, uh, you know, charging the heart so that it can perform so that it can work. Um, if you're meaning like a residual energy, like a residual haunt, that sort of thing, um, I don't think it's really that. I don't think it's like, um, you know, like a, the residual energy of the person. I mean, I, I suppose there's a possibility that um, that a ghost of the person or the, the spirit of the person may follow their organ to the recipient. Uh, but I don't think that's usually the case. I mean, they've they've kind of shown here in in a lot of these cases that it's the the DNA within the organ that's causing this to happen. But you know, it wouldn't be too far out of the question to uh, you know to have that idea of you know the spirit following the the organ to see what happens. <laughs> you know. Um, all right. Um, yeah, that uh, Tom, that's kind of a crazy movie. So the eyes of Laura Mars, uh, who had transplanted eyes from a dead serial killer. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, I mean, that's kind of taking that to the next level, right? So uh, Victoria, there's another theory that the souls go into a soul blender and get a bit mixed up. Remember, you're traveling with a soul family, and then they are reincarnated. So it is possible to have 20 people saying they're all Cleo or Marilyn Monroe. Um, yeah, but only one of them would be that person, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it's not just, um, and it's not just like within that family. Like you have people all over the world, like thousands of people. Um, you know, I, I've known a handful, um, but you have thousands of people all over the world saying they're the reincarnation of, you know, this one person. And so it's statistically not going to work out. You know, could um, could you and maybe like your sister and maybe a couple of cousins or whatever think that, well, maybe I am. Okay. You know, maybe, but you know, all these people all over the world thinking the same thing. It, it's going to be more of their relating to that person and happen to believe in reincarnation. Um, okay. At least that's my belief. All right. Uh, now this is another interesting idea here. So, and these were tests that were actually conducted. DNA teleportation. So this is the DNA water test where uh, generating DNA from uh, 
one vial of water into another. So the idea was introduced by Nobel laureate Luc Montaigne. Montaigne? I, I can't speak French. Montaigne? Well, we're going to say Montaigne, but Montaigne? In 2009. Uh, it, the claim that DNA produces electromagnetic signals, EMS, measurable when highly diluted in water. This signal can allegedly be recorded, transmitted elect electronically, and re-emitted on another distant pure water sample where DNA can replicate despite the absence of the original DNA in the new water. So you're taking a water sample that has DNA in it and a water sample that has no DNA in it, and you are electronically transferring that DNA from the one water sample into the other water sample without the two ever touching. It's all done electronically. This is really, really fascinating. So it's replicated through what they call uh, polymerase chain reaction. So this is, this is a method that's widely used to rapidly make millions to billions of copies of specific DNA allowing scientists to take a very small sample of DNA and amplify it to a large enough amount to be able to study in detail. So this is a method that's already being used, um, and, but they ended up using it with these different water experiments. So this is how the experiment is conducted. To give you an example of, okay, what, what we're talking about here, we're transferring it electronically. And this kind of blew my mind. Uh, the experiment was first made, uh, first conducted in July uh, 2005. Montaigne's experiment uh, can be summarized as follows. One, this is going to be a little wordy here for a second, but uh, a known water sample with two milliliters of 104 bases DNA from an HIV-infected patient is diluted in by 10 into water and agitated for 15 seconds. After filtration and remove the DNA, the dilution and agitation steps are repeated 10 times, reaching high dilution levels of 10 to 10. Step two, the highly diluted sample emits elect electromagnetic signals of low frequencies. So that's the, the DNA sample they're starting with. They've done all these different things to make it emit these electromagnetic signals. Step three, this EMS is recorded by a microphone coil and saved as a six-second wave file at the lab. Uh, and they did this in Paris. Can you believe that? A wave file. Uh, so step four, the wave file is emailed to a partner team at the university. So <laughs> we've gone, we're creating a wave file. We're emailing this DNA electromagnetic signal. Uh, so step five, uh, the team in Italy who received this emits with a coil for one hour the EMS of the wave file on a sample of distilled water in a sealed metal tube. Step six, the water sample is then placed in a polymerase chain reaction machine to test it, of course. Um, and the uh, step seven, the PCR machine in Italy produces DNA 98% identical to the initial DNA in Paris. So, okay. So they've taken this DNA, they've sloshed it around in this water in Paris. And to the point where it's emitting this electronic signal. They record this signal into a wave file, and a wave file is, is basically a sound file. Um, it's um, a lot cleaner, 
larger uh, in size uh, than like an MP3. They email that WAV file to a team in Italy, so from Paris to Italy, so they're not even close to each other. This team in Italy takes distilled water. It's in a metal tube. And they basically blast the, EM, the, the WAV file, the EMS. Uh, this basic, It's going to be a sound file. They blast it at this vial of distilled water. And they're able to produce, replicate the DNA that was if you think about it, emailed to them from Paris. Crazy. Um, but it's amazing. But that is absolutely amazing. So that's actually kind of a scary thought, though. So if somebody, could you imagine that? Somebody has your, your DNA, right? And they put it through this process and they end up emailing it to somebody else. And on the other side, they can end up replicating your DNA. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's almost kind of scary because you, know, you kind of think, okay, that's really interesting and, and bizarre. Um, but some of the fallout from that, like, could, could they clone from this? For one, uh, two, you know, what kind of criminal activity could, you know, be generated by this? It could, you know, could they possibly be planting somebody's DNA at a, at a crime scene so they get away with something? Um, and the, the DNA is, you know, from, uh, I don't know, you know, thousands of miles away, but it came across in, in email and they put it out there. I mean, there are some implications for that. Um, but fascinating that you're able to transmit DNA like that through an electric signal. Now, that's important to us uh, in the field that, that we are in. Because if we are dealing with, when we're like on a paranormal investigation or something like that, and we're interacting with um, some sort of spirit, right? And we talk about that being energy. Is there a way to take a recording of that spirit and be able to replicate that DNA? If, if there is DNA in that sound that we could capture and then regenerate it in that water and test it, would we be able to then verify, yes, this DNA came from this person who died here 100 years ago? And so we can then verify that that's who we were speaking to when we're doing like an EVP session or something like that. That's kind of interesting to think about. Could we take an EVP and get DNA off of it? Hmm. Maybe. See if you guys had any uh, comments about that. So, and Tom, we're going to talk about that. Isn't water and the transfer of DNA how they claim they're bringing back woolly mammoths? We'll talk about the woolly mammoths here in uh, just a second. We've got 10 minutes left in the show. I do want to get to the woolly mammoths. I know Victoria will appreciate that. Um, so basically, this, uh, you know, this idea with the, with the water transfer and the DNA, this also leads us into the idea of if water had memories. And so I've kind of talked a little bit about this before. Um, if 
if water basically if water had memories the uh different stories it could possibly tell you uh you know it's, it's almost kind of like you know if the walls could talk the stories that the walls would be able to tell you well water has been recycled in our planet for i mean as long as water has been here right so uh you know, the the water that was made to you strike that reverse it the water that was used to make this coffee you know is this the same water that cleopatra was drinking or I don't even think about this that um, Caesar took a bath in <laughs> you know, um, but you know the idea that this is the same water that ancient peoples uh, you know had drunk before or even dinosaurs you know had you know had drunk before that it is the same water recycled in the planet over and over and over and over again so in uh, a lot of our water, where does it come from? I mean, it, it originally came from space. You know, the, the ice basically, you know, landed on the planet, probably came in on meteors and things like that uh, on the planet. And so, you know, this water you know, could have been, you know, could have been drunk or maybe an alien took a shower in it, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of options here. Uh, so if the water had memory to it, the stories it could tell, right? So, but there have been some tests of a different kind uh, talking about water memory. So water memory is the purported ability of water to retain a memory of substances previously dissolved in it, even after an arbitrary number of serial dilutions. So not memories as in, you know, our experiences, but this is the idea of uh, it retains a memory of things that have been dissolved into the water. Uh, these tests were conducted by a French, a French immunologist in 1988, Jacques uh, Benveniste. I'm, again, probably butchering the last name because I don't speak French. Um, but it's it's a controversial test, and um, a lot of people have, have tried to discredit this. Uh, and even when he had his paper published in Nature, it was done so with also basically an asterisk where you had some other specialists that came in and said, well, okay, he published this paper, but we don't believe it. Uh, and basically they're saying the water memory contradicts current scientific understanding of physical chemistry. So it's not generally accepted by the scientific community, which is unfortunate. But if you're able to produce DNA in water when it was never there to begin with and came from thousands of miles away on a sound file. Um, I think it's possible that we could eventually get to a point where we could extract uh, some information out of water and learn a little bit more about things that had occurred in the past. You know, even from, even if it's not, okay, you know, show me an, e an event from, uh, you know, the year 1312 or something like that. You know, are there certain uh, things about maybe the environment from 1312 that you could gather out of a molecule of water. Maybe, I mean, and also depending on where the water was at the time, which, you know, that would, that would be a little bit of a problem with it because you, you might not know where that droplet of water was, you know, hundreds of years ago. So there would certainly be, uh, you know, some things you would have to learn along the way to make this a viable option. But 
Um, it's an idea that fascinates me in any case. Okay, woolly mammoth DNA. So let's get to that. Um, we've talked a little bit about this before when we've talked about the Alaska Triangle. Um, so scientists revealed last year, September 2021, that they have actually secured funding for research in resurrecting the woolly mammoth. So what they've done is they've extracted DNA from woolly mammoths trapped in permafrost. Um, however, the problem is, and that what they want to do is they want to make clones of these things. The problem is the DNA is too fragmented and degraded to create a straight clone, but they believe they have enough to create a hybrid elephant mammoth that basically looks the same, but is, is a little different. And, you know, some people do kind of warn against this. So, um, Love Dalen, he's a professor of evolutionary genetics at the Center for Paleogenetics in Stockholm. And he, he does, you know, work on mammoth evolution. He's not even, you know, one of the guys that's, uh, you know, proposing the, the whole cloning thing. But he has concerns about it. And what he says is, if endangered species have lost genes that are important to them, the ability to put them back in the endangered species, that might prove really important. I still wonder what the bigger point would be. First of all, you're not going to get a mammoth. It's a hairy elephant with some fat deposits. We, of course, have very little clue about what genes make a mammoth a mammoth. We know a little bit, but we certainly don't know anywhere near enough. Um, and so those are those are certainly concerns. You know, the, the woolly mammoths had certain traits and characteristics about them, uh, you know, within their DNA that... Um, you know, these things that are instinctual to an animal, right? So where and how to get food, how to how to do a mating call to procreate, um, you know, if they had migratory patterns and things like that, you know, those are things that were, you know, inherently passed down from generation to generation within the DNA of the animal. Well, if you have this fragmented DNA without all of that information that they had and you create an animal, um, you're not going to get the same thing. It's not going to have those same instincts that the original mammoth had. So you may not really get what you're trying to create. And even the physical characteristics, like he's saying, it's not going to be because, because the DNA is so fragmented, they can't create a straight clone. So what the, they're talking about doing is taking an elephant basically an elephant embryo and injecting it with the DNA from the mammoth. And that's where you create this hybrid type of hairy elephant thing, you know? So a question I've proposed before is, okay, let's say there are some woolly mammoths still out there lost in the wilderness and you introduce these hairy elephants out to the wilderness and maybe they cross paths. So what do you get as a result if they procreate and, and make babies? You know, now you have a, a mix of this, you know, true woolly mammoth with a genetically altered one, you know, what do you end up with that? So, um, so those are things that are, you know, you know, causing people some concern is these, when you start with the whole cloning process is, you know, you may not get what you're trying to actually create. And especially with something like the woolly mammoth, something that's extinct. Um, and the DNA is not whole, we don't have it all, then what comes out in this process. Um, certainly something to uh, to kind of consider when going down that. But it's, 
again, interesting, you know, how we are looking at what creates the universe, what makes our living organ organisms, what makes us, us, and what things get passed on from generation to generation. Because, um, you know, you hear stories of, you know, he's got, uh, you know, the mannerisms of, um, you know, of Uncle Louie or whatever. And, you know, you never met Uncle Louie. You know, Uncle Louie, you know, died, you know, 20 years before you were born. People might talk about him or whatever, um, you know, but you never met him. And suddenly, you know, people talk about how you're so much like him. Why is that? There's something that got passed down through the generations that you picked up on. Or are you a reincarnation of Uncle Louie? So there's always that idea too. And so we've kind of hit on a lot of those topics today. I'm going to uh, go down to the question or the uh, comments here one last time. See if you guys have any uh, further questions. And uh, it looks like we are, I guess we are about done here. All right, everybody, I really appreciate your time this evening for uh, the Connected Universe Interactive class. Do need to let you know that next week, we are taking the week off. I'm going to be in New York at this time next week. Um, I'm going to be out there filming for a television show. Can't really talk about it right now. Um, but it's another History Channel show. I'm going to be in a hotel about a block from Times Square, which is kind of cool. Um, last time I was down there in that area, my kids were, were very, very little, and we were, we were lost. We were actually trying to get to Long Island, made a wrong turn in New Jersey, thought I would take a shortcut, you know, just looking at a map, this, is, this predates GPS and you know, all that. Looking at a map, I'm like, oh, I could just drive across the island, apparently. So, because it looked like it had a road you know, on the map right across the island. And okay, so let's do that. So go under the tunnel, come out the other side, and there's a building straight in front of us. It's like there, there's not a road that keeps going straight. What in the world? So I make an immediate right, you know, just to kind of, you know, get off the road for a second, but I'm not really getting off the road. I'm actually going the wrong way down into a bus terminal. Okay. Oh, crap throw the, the van into reverse to get out of there because here's coming a bus. Um, yeah, that was an adventure. So uh, th this, will be, this will be a little less crazy, I hope, fingers crossed, because um, I've heard some stories about New York kind of being crazy these days through COVID and everything else going on down there. So, all right, everybody, you have a great night. For those that are listening to the audio version later, please do come out and join us. Every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m., connecteduniverseportal.com, 30-day free trial. Come check it out. All right, everybody, have a great night. Till next time, if time really exists.